Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. This is, okay, so for my audience, I'm going to tell you guys, as a federal agent of the government, (laughs) I am a spy, and my mark that I am um, paid regularly to monitor is shades. And so... Not really, but that's the standing joke between the two of us. With that being said, I do want you to introduce yourself briefly, just kind of talk about um, what you do um, at your job currently. And um, you just recently got a promotion. Kind of give the audience an idea of of what you do so that as we get into this conversation, they'll understand where you're coming from. Uh, Okay, so, um, well, multiple people call me multiple things. So, Pleasure. My name is Shad. Some people call me Shades. Other people call me Shadow. Doesn't really matter. Oh, um, okay. Uh, exactly, so I've been saying exactly. it wrong this whole time. No, it's okay because I've actually had a running joke that I actually wear shades all the time, so it fits. See, I'm, uh, I'm a horrible fat. I didn't even know how to properly pronounce your name. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not even stressing about it. Don't even stress, fat. It's okay. You can't get everything right. I know you, I know you spy on me, but you, don't, you can't get all the details of my life right. It's okay. <laughs> So uh, I work in like a, a supply chain hub, um, like a lot of the uh, mostly the dry uh, dry dock materials that come through my area uh, come through my hands. It's one of I'm one of like a a handful of like um, hubs in my area that like basically passes goods um, through everything from like customer like special customer orders to just general supplies for a specific company, um, and then like I am on a first name basis with like. The, the lighter, the LTL companies that work for the area, um, like a lot of the OTR companies as well. Um, and uh, I'm on, like, I work directly with, like, distribution centers to get stuff from A to B. And I've even gone from my location to distribution centers across the country to catch them up when they're behind. And I'm sure we'll go over that specific topic in, um, during this podcast. So, yeah, that's me. Um, pretty simple. Um, I've been able to witness uh, the massive increase of price of a lot of the goods, and I see more coming. And um, no one's really, no one cares. Like I've told, I've told many people that no one gives a shit until it's too late. So that's me. Yeah, I think the time to care was a while back. I think oh. we've we've allowed this to go on for for far too long. So let's talk. So I sent you some bullet points of things I wanted to discuss. So you already brought up the increased cost. Tell me some of the increased costs that throughout the supply chain that you're seeing. So um, obviously you have what's seen by the consumer and where I'm seeing that personally, I mean, I'm a mom and uh-huh. I'm seeing it in food and diapers. Like uh-huh. it's, that's where I'm seeing my, and fucking gas man. But uh-huh. anyway, so talk to me about some of those increased costs that you're seeing. So really, um, there's not necessarily like a specific uh, group of things that is going up in cost. Everything is going up in cost. The only thing that we've really kind of focused on in terms of like the media has like really paid attention has been like the lumber cost, like the 300%, which that's not saying that like every piece of wood you buy is 300% higher. Some things haven't gone up at all and other things have gone up even a thousand percent in cost. So that's, that's lumber as a whole has gone up 300%. So we've seen shortages in 
like electrical wiring, um, food, like you said, that's, and that's going to keep going up by the way, especially specifically proteins. Um, yikes. Um, <clears throat> even just, uh, like raw materials with like metals. Um, so like you even have like screws, even just like, sh like, uh, trash metal that you'd use like for like welding has gone up. Um, <clears throat> honestly, if you, if you buy it on the shelf at a store, it's has gone up in some way, shape or form and cost and it will continue to do so. That's a combination of them not having the materials on hand and a workforce that is not present. So that, that scales from people not working at the locations where they make these materials. They don't have the people that work on the dry docks like I do. They don't have people that work on the cold docks. They don't have people that work in the transportation. So you have drivers um, that are uh, no longer bringing stuff A to B. So it's like, that's, that, that applies to gasoline like that massive gas shortage that like the Southeast had, like that wasn't actually a gas shortage. They just didn't have people to take stuff from, from the, the hubs to the gas stations. There was no shortage. It was literally just the drivers were not present. And if like, if that fucked us up that bad, imagine what would happen if we had that and a gas shortage. So I don't know. We, I'm not really sure how they would fix that per se, because you have so many people that are staying out due to a combination of like the COVID situation is still a thing, even though we're on the tail end of it. I don't really care what people say. We're on the tail end of it. In my opinion, the pay. Um, so like certain positions don't pay very well. And I don't blame people for getting paid to stay at home because like, why not? Like if you, if you get paid, if you have a shit pay, and then the government's paying you maybe a little bit less to stay at home, but you're not working 40 hours. I don't blame that shit. Um, and then um, a lot of the regulations that are being put into place uh, to truck drivers, a lot of the old guard are stepping away and a lot of the new guard are stepping in, which the new guard causing a lot of wrecks and a lot of issues. And that is driving more of the old guard way. So you have like a compounding issue um, on high that's just continue to continuing to grow and no one's even talking about it. No one's even like, I mean, you have a couple, like, you know, you have a couple small companies that are coming out and they're saying, Hey, this is an issue, but like, you don't see it being talked about on Fox news on CNN, you know, like the, the main, um, you know, the main media channels where most people would see stuff, even though it's those channels are perpetually bullshit, but that's where you're going to get a lot of your eyes on a problem. And no one is talking about it. No one's talking about it. No one's looking at it. Um, the only people that are even really talking about it, and I'm saying like nobody is someone like us, like, like we're going to sit down and we have a, we have a small audience in comparison, um, to these massive, you know, conglomerates. We're not, you know, that's, that's, that's how this is going to get out. And that's, that's kind of why I'm here is like, Hey, we have a fucking problem and nobody cares. So yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I read was that the rising costs were being absorbed by the companies and not the consumer. Mm. I'm not finding that to be true. No. I'm finding that the companies are putting it off on the consumer. But would you disagree with that? Um, some of the companies are like you have some companies that are actually um, trying to take some of that cost upon themselves. But I would say the overwhelming majority of that is being pushed onto the consumer and even onto the worker. Because even even some of the costs that I personally incur are not being covered. Like, so whenever I, um, went out to help, um, catch a distribution center up, 
when they were severely behind. Some of the stuff that I incurred to even go do that, where that used to have been covered, was not covered. Because it was, uh, I'm not sure, I was just told it wasn't, so I had to eat it. Uh, even I went on high and talked to you know, people 10 pay grades above me, and they still told me that. So no, I would say that is not the case. They are not putting it, they are not eating it. They are pushing it off onto the consumer and the worker. Absolutely. Are, do you anticipate that we're going to see those costs continue to go? I know you said a minute ago, you'll see those prices. Like, what are we talking eventually? Like, what percentage more could we expect as the consumer to be absorbing in, in our cost, in our food? I know you said proteins. I'm even seeing it in things, just vegetables, fruit, uh-huh. any sort of food that that we're consuming. I have a, a click list saved at Walmart. And I can put that click list in each week and the price variation is significant each week and the items don't change. Uh-huh. No, that's, um, that's something that we're definitely going to continue to see. And, and I couldn't necessarily put a, a overall percentage on that because it's going to differ uh, between goods. Um, so like food is definitely going to continue to go up. Um, like I said, I, I, I don't personally work with food, but I know people that work with food. And like I said, with proteins alone, um, I was told that, um, that proteins were going to go up like 25 to 30 cents per pound per month for the foreseeable that's proteins completely. So like everything from like meats to artificials. So naturally that's going to, um, roll over into fruits and vegetables as well. Um, because if that's going to, if, if they can't get, the meats going, then the fruits and proteins are going to have, or fruits and vegetables are going to have the exact same issue. So like you said, you're going to continue to see that until we, one of two things. Um, uh, Javier Goya does a really good job saying this. He says, you know, high prices fix high prices. So we're eventually going to fix it. We're going to hit a threshold, a pain threshold where people are no longer going to buy these things because it's too expensive. The exact same thing happened with ammo. Ammo got to a certain point where everyone was like, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not spending that you know, for a bullet and, and prices began to drop. So it's either going to do that or the market as a whole is going to fix, which more, most likely we're going to hit a point to where we don't spin anymore. So stuff's going to crash. You're going to have people that are going to, uh, a bunch of food is going to suddenly hit the shelves and they're not, it's not going to leave and it's going to spoil. So then the prices are going to drop. So I think it's going to be, we're going to hit a point to where we can no longer pay for it. And people are starting to go for cheaper alternatives, which when it's, it's, it's already is cheaper to go to McDonald's and get like a $7 meal than to spend a lot of time buying groceries. When that becomes the norm, it's, it's going to be really bad. It, even, even, even that stuff is going to go up in price. I've, I've, I've even noticed, you know, grabbing a quick meal, you know, for lunch break and work the cost of something that I normally buy is going up, you know, a couple dollars a week. Yeah. I, I, the other day I stopped to get, cause of course what's every kid's favorite thing is <laughs> happy meals from McDonald's. So I stopped mm. to get the kids a happy meal and just for two happy meals with chocolate milk to drink was like $15. So it's like, yep. what, what mm-hmm. is going on here? Like what? No, I do not want to pay $15 for two Happy Meals, but it's crazy. Um, Uh So another thing in the supply chain um, topic or realm of of subjects, 
I wanted to talk about driver shortages. Uh-huh. And I, I'm assuming you said earlier, some of like the old guard are leaving. Uh, are you guys seeing that in large numbers? And what do you think are some of the contributing factors to why drivers are not driving? Um, so yes, I'm seeing a, a significant uh, decrease in like the older driver uh, that what I would normally interact with. A lot of the drivers I'm interacting with now are like either they're brand new and they take 45 minutes to back their 53 footer into a dock, which is ridiculous, or they've been driving for a couple weeks, maybe even a couple months, maybe even a year. Um, so a lot of the contributing factors to a lot of the old drivers leaving is, um, so the costs that the drivers personally have to incur have increased. <clears throat> so a lot of the old guard has shifted away from that, uh, because they don't want to deal with that anymore because driving isn't as simple as backing up to a dock, picking a load up and driving, uh, from point A to B anymore. You now have, uh, everything's computer automated. So a lot of people have been alienated away from the job because they, they're not able to, basically like figure out how to do that. So like I have like the like I've told you before I have a guy that drove 42 years and he's like I refuse to get back into a truck because it's entirely too complicated. The insurance alone is double what it used to be. All that plus the significant number of new drivers on the road, excuse me, have made it actually they believe it's unsafe. So I'm not sure if you all have paid attention but there is like a a fairly significant increase in um, semi-truck wrecks over really the last couple of years because because a lot of the old seasoned drivers are no longer there. So you have a lot of new drivers on that aren't being trained by people that know what they're doing. So they're being put into a commercial vehicle and put on the road and they're not told that like, hey, you know, this particular way is not safe. They don't know that so that they wreck. And then all of a sudden you have further delays. That plus a lot of the regulations with like a lot of the old drivers used to drive and it's not really safe to do this, but like you have a lot of old drivers that would drive for like double digit hours, 10, 15, 16 hour long roads. You can't do that anymore. A lot of the old guard that used to do that, they would get a whole bunch of work out of the way and then they would take some time off. That's no longer an option. You have to drive an X amount of time and you ha- then you are mandated to take a specifically like designated break and then you can keep rolling on the road again. A lot of people just don't want to deal with that. So you're having a massive just exodus of like people that know what they're doing. And it's not like it used to be where you'd have the old guard teaching the new guard. They're just leaving because they, I mean, I don't blame them. They don't want to deal with it anymore. So they're just leaving. Are you finding that in the, like not even just in the driver industry, but even like the warehousing, you mentioned automation. Absolutely. Um, go ahead. No, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and the reason I asked that, it, what brought it up Friday night, we discussed um, the Colonial Pipeline hack. And I know that's not completely related to the supply chain, but uh, but it is. Oh, I mean, it it's is. related it to mm-hmm. the supply chain for gas. And the reason that they couldn't get the pipeline back up and running manually is because the people who knew how or were capable <laughs> of it were either... <laughs> not physically able to, or no longer working for the company anymore. So it's like these older people have just stopped doing it. And the younger people are like, Oh, if a computer doesn't do it, I have no fucking clue how to do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a, there's a increase of, of automation and 
like I said, like I said, that 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 was a. I, I had no idea that was even the case. But when I read that article and sent it to you, I thought that was hilarious and very indicative of like what we're dealing with as like a industry wide issue. Um, that that that's happening very much so even at the distribution center level, um, where you have a lot of the, you know, the uh, the old head that knew what they were doing and knew the tricks of the trade that are just leaving and they're no longer even bothering to train or even inform the new people what to do. I don't know what has really caused that. Um, I, I know a combination of that was with COVID and, and, and people just not coming back to work. But like there has been a, a gradual increase of people just leaving and, and not really training uh, the people beneath them for a while now. And it's something that's kind of caught the industry as a whole off guard. And I know there's a lot of companies, um, mine included, and then I know a couple people that work um, in other forms of, of industry connected to mine. So like um, there's a friend of mine who works for a, uh, a like a paper company. They make like cardboard boxes of paper for the entire, basically the entire country. So like if you, so he says they are purchased, they are hiring a lot of old heads to come back at dramatically increased pay just to get them in the building, just to train the new people. So they're, they're so offering that from like a warehousing perspective, as well as from a trucking perspective, like the increased pay, increased benefits, just to get them in the building, basically like that. That's, that's industry wide. Yeah. I've seen and, some uh, bonuses like, Oh, if you sign on with us, it's like a $70,000 bonus or something. It's fucking insane. The kind uh-huh. of money they're throwing at people to do the uh-huh. job. Absolutely. That's that's just to get people to, to work the job. And then then that's that's just what you see. That's not the people that are like that's not the people that don't want to come back, that they need to come back. That that's seventy thousand dollars is probably drops in the bucket in comparison to what they're offering someone that knows what they're doing. Right. They're probably begging people like like, you know, I, I know the guy that works for me who's retired and he all he does is just like he just wants to work because well, he's gonna work until he dies. I know that feel. And he told me, he's like, people are still calling him and offering him exuberance amount of money to come work a truck again. And he says, absolutely not. Not not even like local driving, like where he literally goes to work in the morning and goes home at night. He didn't use he doesn't even want to do that. And that's that's something that I'm seeing like industry wide. I know a lot of drivers that have been driving for 20 to 30 years that I interact with that are saying that when they're done, they're not even going to they're like they're done were five years ago, drivers that I used to know that had left said, well, when I'm done, I'm probably going to come back and contract or I'm going to come back and teach. No, these guys that I know now, like the, the, the old guard now are saying, absolutely not. I am done. And they're not even training people right now. Well, and I think on top of everything else, all the other stuff that we're talking about, I think that that is an industry just being real. I mean, it's lonely. You're, you're on the road all the time. You it's hard to have a family. It's hard to be present for a lot of things. You know, you sacrifice a lot in that role. And I think that's mentally and physically. I mean, you're in a truck all the time, so you can't go walking and running and do all that stuff. So I, I don't know. I think it would be hard and I can completely empathize and understand where somebody would be like, Nope, fuck that. I'm not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Because like, I know, I know trucking already is a, a, a fairly like lucrative in terms of the overall, like what you make in general, you make good money doing that, but they're right. starting to stack even more money because like it's people are starting to find out that it's like to them, it's not worth it. Like you have that one trucking company in, in Texas um, that is offering people 14,000 a week 
that's insane. That's 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 <laughs> so honestly money. Now, like a, a lot of that is dependent upon like, are you you know owner operated or are you with the company? Because like fourteen thousand probably isn't going to be actually fourteen thousand, but right. that's still that's still you know what is that a year? Hold on, that is if you you know before taxes, that's that's seven hundred and twenty eight k a year. That's before bonuses, um, you know before anything else. That's that's three quarter of a mil. That's stupid money. Which which is insane. Like that's that's nuts. Like you know, I, I you know, I know drivers that make you know barely make six figures doing LTL work, and that's that's nuts. That's you know, that's retirement money. God, man, <laughs> makes me want to go get my license to drive a truck. But are you? But would you be willing to do that? Like, would you be willing to do OTR work where you're no. on the road? No, for, I yeah. mean, hello, with my kids? Are you kidding me? But it's even even if you didn't have your kids in the equation, would you be willing to be alone in a truck? for six to seven days a week if i had no kids absolutely i i yes (laughs) for the money phone i I can that's no problem okay so we talked we briefly touched on the warehouse automation i wanted to go back to that a little bit because i wonder because we're talking about breakdowns in the supply chain so Uh i wonder if the automation because i mean conceptually there's it's cost effective Uh when it comes to speed but is it cost effective when it comes to accuracy when we start talking about these types of automation i think about like when i go to mcdonald's and i type on the computer that i want no uh onions on my sandwich and i still get onions there's some breakdown along the line always so do are you seeing like the automation being a breakdown or does it remove human element and therefore makes it faster and more efficient? So with um, specifically with like the distribution center, uh, particularly the breakdown of that particular section of the supply chain. So to harken back when, when the COVID situation first happened and, and nobody really knew what the hell they were doing. No one really knew what, what was coming, what was going to happen. So companies were throwing um, paid time off at people left and right to be like, if you get COVID, you, two, three weeks off, uh, blah, blah, blah. So when that first happened, um, we saw a significant struggle. It was also when uh, the uh, stimulus first hit. So people were hitting stores like crazy. Um, so we saw a significant drop in supply reaching the store. So I was called to go help a distribution center um, catch up. That was all I was told. And when I arrived um, there, I spent five weeks at a distribution center in South Carolina. And I was told that they were behind. When I got there, I realized that they were 1,600 trucks of, of supplies behind, which is like 42,500 times uh, 600. It's like, it's like an, an insane weight of, of freight that is just sitting on a dry dock, not being used and not being transported from A to B. A lot of that issue was brought on by the fact that when a lot of paid time off was handed, a lot of people just took it. When, when they were given this particular time off, right. they just took it. So I was told estimated 50% of the workforce in this specific distribution center, that's one. That's one distribution center. Multiply it times how many across the country for how many different companies. One wow. distribution center, 50% got 1,600 trucks behind. So it took us five weeks to get caught up. So that's, that's, a, that's a massive human element issue that I see. Yeah, um, sure. 
while I was there, I, I wasn't really like, I wasn't, they weren't told exactly why I was there initially. I was, I was not only there to help catch up, but I was also there to record issues that I saw and report that to my higher up. So they weren't told exactly who I was. So I was to be treated like a regular, like help coming in. And then like two and a half weeks in, it was like, Hey, by the way, this person's been directly, you know, speaking with me. And then like the behavior toward me dramatically changed as you can imagine um, at that point. So automation would definitely have cut that um, like how far behind they would have gotten back down significantly. Right. A lot of the issues that we see with accuracy on the distribution level is uh, human element because a lot of issues right now are there. You still have humans partic- picking up specific items and putting it on the trucks themselves. And the major problem with that is you have so a distribution center, the one the companies that I work for, though that specific distribution center had 356 docks. So 356 trucks were touching it at all times. So we'll break that down into thirds. So a third of the building was inbound. So stuff that was literally coming from the ports being broken down. They were being put onto a supply line on one side of the building, which was taking it up on it basically to the roof where there was like 73 miles of conveyor belt. And then it was scattered to the other two thirds of the building where you have another 256 docks and you have trucks that are touching these docks basically with two feet between each truck. So people are missing, people are putting product on wrong vehicles left and right. And nothing's really being done to stop that because they figure they're making enough money and enough leeway that it doesn't matter, even though that I'm seeing it on like on the receiving side of things where there is a significant increase of error and broken goods. So while I was there, they spoke to me about how they're going to be doing automation, which it will dramatically increase the accuracy of that, but it's going to cut the workforce by half. So that kind of goes back to like, is it a good thing? Are are you going to be, are you, is it okay to cut your workforce by half if your, if your accuracy is dramatically increasing? So that's going to further cause an issue where people aren't going to be able to afford things, even if the prices don't go up because you have, you know, they make, they make decent money uh, being the workers at automation or at a distribution center, but it's still going to be a significant cut in people. Do you anticipate, um, I know, I know you just said that they're looking at the cost benefit analysis that what ways do you see artificial intelligence playing a role moving forward in the supply chain? Primarily speaking, um, it's going to be like solely focused on accuracy of like particular items to particular locations. That's going to be the, the biggest issue because um, we're, we're moving away from even on the storefront. I grew up in the 90s. So you had people that like you had, uh, you know, store managers that would go through a store and they would log what they need by hand and then they would order that. I starting with like getting into the job myself, I came in when we were still doing that. And then we moved to an automated system where the system, the, the whole, say a store is, 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 is itself a computer where when the store rings out a specific item, the store automatically marks out on the inventory thing. And then when it gets beneath a certain number, the store automatically reorders that particular item. The problem is that automation comes to halt at a distribution center, at least with my company where it, it gets to a certain point. And then from that point on, there's a, there's a, a 10 step process that's covered by a human. And then automation takes it again. The vast majority of our issues that I'm seeing is in that 10 step process done by a human where that's, that's where the error occurs. 
and then the automation takes it from there. So, so the, the automation is doing its job. We're just having a human error issue primarily. So I That's think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a, an increase in accuracies with the automation. However, it's going to dramatically reduce the number of people in the particular, in, in the supply chain workforce, which is, you know, has its own negative. So you're going to see speed and cost efficiency, but you'll see a smaller labor market, which we know that to be true as AI continues to infiltrate many different industries, not just the supply chain. Correct. um, Okay. So, so disruption is going to be a constant, right? So you're always going to have natural disasters, pandemics. I'm sure they're going to throw another one at us here pretty soon. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) So after this situation, are you seeing any learnings that people have taken away to say, okay, we need to make sure we do this moving forward so that this never happens again? Um, the biggest thing um, with that kind of harkens back to um, ties back into your AI thing. Is that like, whereas we were, my company was uh, slowly uh, pushing the AI and automated um, section of that they have, they have uh, increased like the, the shifted gears in that to make it a lot faster. So AI is going to be start taking over within my company much faster than it used to. They also talked about whereas they're going to have to increase uh, until that becomes the case, they're going to increase coverage. So they're going to bring more people in, which will unfortunately cost more for us, the consumer. So you have a lot, you have a, more people to be coming in to increase coverage, but it's going to, put more strain on the distribution center themselves. So costs are going to increase further with that particular. So that's going to drive automation even faster. So Hmm. unfortunately this massive error in our supply chain has shown us that we need automation in order to keep up, but it's also going to dramatically reduce. It's going to increase the workflow and the workforce temporarily, but in the long run, it's going to push us toward like a zero almost as, as little human interaction in that particular field as possible. So it's interesting. I I have been thinking about this for ever since COVID started, I've been thinking about, you know, so many people were so quick to be like, okay, yeah, I'll go work from home. I'll go, you know, that they were so quick to showcase how easily companies could function on as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And literally gave companies the ability to see whether they were important to them or not. And I, I feel like people just did it so willingly. And I, I don't think this industry is any exception to that. No, absolutely not. Because um, like when, when that when also when, when COVID first happened, I, I received, um, I actually still have it. It's like, it's like a pass that like for my company, it says I am, my company is one of the few companies that got like, permission to remain open because we were essential. And then I, I received a, a photo pass literally, uh, uh, and you know, um, that I kept in my vehicle that if I was to ever be stopped by the national guard, that I was permitted to be out. I so was one, one of, of those I was one essential of the, worker cards where they're yeah. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, and I was one of the like one fourth of the people in, in the building as a whole that were deemed that you are, you are one of the few people, if, if we have to run it down to as a skeleton crew as possible, you're one of the few. So then you have these companies that are realizing that they can run um, a specific hub with a fourth of the workforce that was required. Right. 
so like you said, that's going to, that's going to harken back to people realizing that like, like you said, these people are like, Oh yeah, I'll go work at home. I'll get paid to sit at home. Well, what happens when they, when they realize well, I don't need to pay you to sit at home. I just right. need to pay these. I need to pay the a third to a fourth of the people that I know can run this building. And then you people I no longer need. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that in my own personal industry. I, my boss a year ago, October, we had 25 employees and we now have three. And so for him, in his mind, it was easier to write the check every month for three people who were productive than 25 or 22 other people who were not. Yeah. So now that burden comes on the three of us that are left behind. (laughs) But we had, we had to prove ourselves and we're the only ones that are still there. So I, I, I see that and I agree with that. So, um, okay. So I want to talk about the complexity within the supply chain. I think conceptually people, I don't know if it's just because we're so first world and we just don't think about how something ends up in our hands, like toilet paper, Uh but let's talk about the complexity a little bit and how companies are now having to go to multiple suppliers over multiple locations versus, you know, just buying in bulk from one supplier and the shipment being like here and there, like straight one way. So well, not one way, but. so like with that, particularly uh, I'll harken back to like the, the lumber uh, side of things. So like when, when this first started out, um, my company purchased my, my, um, my district purchased lumber from one company, a single company in South Carolina, was able to fill the orders required for my entire district. Now, because of the, not only is there, the, the demand is so high, the cost is so high, that company had to shut down because they couldn't, they just couldn't afford to keep working. They couldn't afford to keep running. Now I, I pull, we pull lumber from five different companies. So you went from having one centralized, one bulk. So like you buy, a million units of a particular measurement from one company. Now you have to buy 200,000 from one, 200,000 from another, 200,000 all across all five, just to fill that particular order. Right. And the costs are going to be different because certain companies like you're not, you're not getting a bulk cost. You're getting a, a unit cost. So yes. And then you're also paying for the transportation from different locations, different locations. Correct. And I think, I I just think people just really don't understand how that works. (laughs) A lot that goes into that, you can you can hearken that to like say, okay, so one one location is in we pull from Georgia. So like my the people that are several pay grades above me make a deal with that company. And then they, they make a they make a, a cost deal where we lock in a particular cost for a particular item. Now that changes week by week now because as you see, costs are dramatically changing. Right. So then then you have a another company that we hire out to go drive a particular flatbed uh, truck there. They get loaded up. So you have to pay, you pay the driver, you pay the forklift driver, you pay the guy that runs the place and you pay the people that pull the wood. And that's just, then that dude has to drive to one of eight locations in my district to give off X goods. Wow. So then he could supply that one particular flatbed could supply two or three locations per run. So I see the same guy three times a week 
and he drops off three different. That's just from one location. So then multiply that by five because I get it from five different locations. So I deal with five different drivers each basically three times a week dropping off the same product because we can't get it all from one location anymore. So what one piece of two by eight by 10 pressure treated costs from one company could differ several dollars from a different one because they're pulling it from a totally different state with a totally different company with a totally different pay scale and a totally different time frame. And then you can apply that to anything really for, like you said, toilet paper, toilets, lamps, light bulbs, um, <clears throat> toys. I'm sure toys are even significantly increasing as well. Um, from all from that's that's industry wide because some with with the COVID issue happening with workforce leaving, with the increased cost of stuff, old locations are shutting down, but new new locations are opening up, but the costs aren't going to be the same anymore because you they're now having to renegotiate deals with multiple companies rather than pulling everything from one location. So, do you see that leveling out anytime soon? What type of solutions? If you had a broad brush and you could just fix the problem, what would you do? And and do you see there being a solution in the near future? I'm seeing inflation numbers. I'm seeing things the def- like the dollar is getting to the point where it's like worthless and they just want to keep oh. printing it and keep giving it out. So oh. Like, are you seeing any solutions and are, do you foresee it, this leveling out anytime <clears throat> soon? Um, leveling out? No, to be honest with you. I don't really see it leveling out because we're still, this, this issue is a compounding issue. We're floundering. The, the industry doesn't really know what, you know, they, they, they'll, they'll get on television and they'll say they have it. Like they, we have it under control. They don't. I, I am I am on the front lines of it. They don't. Um, broad stroke fixes. I mean, <clears throat> if I could have a time machine and go back in time and tell these companies to just hold out, that we could still use you, um, that would be a, a major thing. Um, a lot of what we probably need to do for a lot of our goods is bring a lot of things in, in country rather than importing a lot of stuff because that's a lot of our issue right now is we're unable to get things imported in as we saw with that uh that hilarious uh boat jamming up that canal canal situation (laughs) which was both hilarious and depressing because it brought the the hilarious part was dude drew a dick in the water before he got the boat stuck so (laughs) i mean absolutely based i mean that is you know (laughs) i mean you know like (laughs) i i mean fair enough my man the statement i hear you yeah, um, but like that that one that one situation, as as hilarious as it was, brought the world to a halt. For, yeah, and <clears throat> we need Do to stop. Do you think that these things are being done intentionally? Do you think there's malicious intent behind it? Because I like the conspiracy hat and and thought process in me says yes, but. I want to think that some guy just had a really shitty day and he was pissed at his boss and he's like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. Fuck this. I'm going through here. And then he accidentally got stuck. But then the other part of me is like, you drew a fucking dick in the water and very shortly later got stuck. You did the shit on purpose. 
uh, I would say it probably it's probably dependent. I would say some of it is definitely accidental. Um, I don't know. I feel like the boat thing was was accident, but the dick in the water kind of kind of really uh, <clears throat> really dictates it to being on purpose. Which you know that's that's fair. And I, I didn't you know I didn't like think of it like that way. But you're right. My man drew a dick in the water, and I was like, that's kind of like a a massive fuck you. Yeah. Um, but I, w- <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Um, I mean, what a way to say fuck you, by the way. Yeah, um, no kidding. I would say, I would say some of it definitely probably is on purpose. Um, I would say there's nefarious, uh, you know, intent there with them trying to re- make people realize that they can't depend upon themselves. They can't depend upon this. They have to depend upon, you know, you know, the tit of the, of the government to, to survive. Um, some of it's definitely accidental, but I would definitely say some of it is probably on purpose as we see the entire world um, shifting toward reliance upon um, their, their corresponding states um, to survive. And like, as you see with our most, you know, our past election with, um, you know, good old Joey, Joey B. Um, oh my God. Have you the, seen some of the stuff coming out of this summit? I uh, just, my man out there with new balances on like, Bro. Your man is out there fucking humiliating this country. Is what I your man know, is out there doing right I now. I know, I know, and it's <clears throat> like he went to Walmart and got his shoes, and then he said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna go embarrass everybody. my my man." My man with like uh, the only thing missing is he's he's missing like jean shorts. Like he needs to be. I mean, he's got the New Balances, the white New Balances on. No, he needs the jean shorts. He's and, missing and the polo sitting dude. there talking in his dentures, falling out on the table uh, on accident. Like that's. <laughs> It's just that one step further. Okay, so hold on. I'm going to get completely off topic. (laughs) Coming back real fast. So we talk about manufacture of goods. We're having to import, what would you say, probably 82% of our dry goods come from outside of the country? Absolutely. When I I went to the distribution center, I didn't really have a, a... I knew we imported a lot because this was the, fir- the first time I had really ever interacted with a specific location, but the right. amount of shipping containers that came in where I personally broke the, uh, the seals on that, that like where they came from another country, uh, was mind boggling. Yeah. Insane. It was, it was mind boggling that we, that we import toilets from, you know, Malaysia, we import lamps from China, we import, and I'm like, why, that's insane to me that like that much of it, like growing up in the nineties, it was like, I don't know. It was probably 80% U S made goods and then 20% China made. And then that has now flipped the overwhelming majority of what you see on the shelf now is imported goods. Why do you think, or, or okay. So I know why, but like, how, how do we get that? I feel like regulation <laughs> is a huge fucking part of it, but I think back to like Donald Trump's message when he was originally running for president and like he really wanted more things to be made in America. Like me personally, one of the hugest priorities if if I were to ever ask a politician to actually fucking accomplish something, right. it would be to bring the manufacture of our drugs and medications back to the United States. Absolutely. The fact that we had to go to China and ask for ventilators and masks after China fucking poisoned us is a big problem as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. How do we get back to where we're manufacturing our own products here in the United States? Everybody's always like, well, that's too expensive. 
Like, what does that even mean? Do you want me to put my kid in a sweat house? Because I will. Well, I mean, <laughs> I won't really, but. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, like you said that, like they talk about it being entirely too expensive. Whereas like, I'm not saying that the wages that we pay in the States are necessarily great, but in comparison to what they pay in China, it's leaps and bounds. So yes, right. absolutely. Just from the, the workers standpoint, it is absolutely cheaper to have someone build something for quarters and pennies in another country and then spend the remainder of that, of those dollars that would we normally pay to import them. It, it's, <clears throat> it's insane to me. It's insane to think that it's, it's more cost effective to have somebody basically worked, worked to death in another country to pr- produce a good, to then get that good from that factory to a port put it onto into a shipping container, lock the shipping container, put that shipping container onto a massive fucking boat. And then that boat go across the sea to another port. Then have it craned off of that ship to a shipping yard where it is then indexed. Then from the shipping yard, it is put onto a semi truck, which is then driven across the country, a different country to a distribution center where then it is then, the seal is broken for the first time, then that those goods are split from that shipping container in the distribution center, sent up on miles of conveyor belt to then put onto a different truck, which is then driven oh, across no. the country again to a, a, a hub or, or a store in particular, which is then, it is then pulled from that truck and put on the shelf. It is insane to me that it is cheaper to do that than it is to have it being built in-house. That That's, that's your, your, the toilet that's that's in your bathroom, the lamp that's on your desk, has traveled thousands of miles, crossing dozens of hands before it ever got to you, and that is cheaper. I I have a hard time understanding and believing that as well, and I think that number one, I think it's lazy. Mm-hmm. I but we just talked a lot about automation, and so. If machines are doing the majority of work, the cost that it takes to employ an American citizen is diminished by the fact that you're using computers and machines to do much of what humans are doing in these other countries. Uh Absolutely. So I feel like there are solutions there and people just don't want to take the time to execute them. And by people, I mean politicians who are getting money from other countries and the lobbyists that they send to Washington for them. And they do not work for the American people. They work for whatever. X company, X company, X country. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's frustrating. And I, I'm really glad that you came on to talk about this because I think just like you, I think it's going to get significantly worse before it gets better. And I don't think people are really prepared for what that looks like, especially As we move into winter, I think that's where we're really going to see because that's when people, you know, summertime, people are going and eating out, they're um, traveling, going on vacation. It's not a lot of like stuck at home and and needing to cook and stuff like that. You spend money in the summer, you save in the winter. Correct. And I think that a lot of people are going to realize they're not saving very much in the winter. No, absolutely not. Um, I know there's, like I said, with, with winter coming, um, <clears throat> with costs of stuff increasing and, and there being like, you know, whispers of a, of a propane shortage um, 
with winter coming, that's going to impact a, a lot of people um, that like live, you know, 60 minutes away from civilization who depend upon that for heat. Um, and, and the cost of that's going to increase dramatically. And you can apply that to even a lot of supply chain uh, hubs use propane to run equipment. Um, so the cost of that's going to go up even more. So you, like I said, it's going to get, I think it's going to get a lot worse unless the government subsidizes, which we have seen makes things worse in their own way. Right. <clears throat> With, I mean, whereas the stimulus, I think that was, uh, it was a both, it was a double-edged sword. It, it put people, it put money in people's accounts, but people blew it on stupid shit and it devalued the dollar. Right. I, I don't care what people say. It devalued the dollar. Putting, putting yeah, millions right. of dollars into people's hands, which. Well, like, so and let's be careful about that too, because I want to be, you know, you put money in people's hands, but you put a lot more money in places Absolutely. that had no fucking thing to do with the people Absolutely. of this country. I mean, they, they, <clears throat> what was it? They, uh, like the, the total stimulus package, it was supposed to like, if you divided it by like the people that were actually going to get it, they were supposed to get like five to $8,000. Right. And, and we got like, depending on your, you know, your, your income level, you got like 1200 to $1,400. Like, right. so you're telling me that like, I could have had triple my money and you, but you gave all that to, to other like senseless bullshit. Right. Like um, the, the Kennedy center for the arts or whatever, they got two payments out of two stimuluses. That was like 3 million or billion. I don't even remember how much at this point. And it's like, they weren't even open for a year. Like who the fuck got that money? Uh-huh. Um, it's just I'm, insane to me. But anyway. I know like trucking, co- some trucking companies got that. <clears throat> And employees didn't see any of it. Wow. That's pretty shitty. Yep. Which that also goes hand in hand with some of the old guard leaving because they realized they got fucked over. Right. Yep. Okay. Before I let you go, I want to shift gears just a little bit because obviously, I mean, I have you on here. I got to talk about guns and (laughs) while you're here. Um, So... Do you know when Chipman, when they're supposed to decide whether or not they're going to appoint him? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I've pretty much decided that he can fuck himself. I mean, I decided that a long time ago. So whether or not Chipman's leading that um, tyrannical particular section of our government, which the whole government, but that that particular section, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, fuck that whole organization. Uh, let me see. Um, see, I uh, haven't seen a scheduled vote for him yet. But I was curious. Let's see here. As of six days ago, he was faced a Senate panel, questions on gun control, of course. Um, so he's still he's still being questioned, I'm assuming. But I haven't yeah, I don't think they designated so a, a specific day to vote. <clears throat> um here we go. Senate confirmations. Oh, there's there's already odds for him getting it. Well mouth. Um <laughs> uh, yikes gotta love um, vegas man god dude yeah yeah there there yeah there's already uh ups and downs of it man that's actually uh makes some money damn um <laughs> yeah uh yeah I, don't, I, I would feel dirty betting on that um now i said i'm not sure uh i haven't heard any particular dates on that i just know that um it's going to be like the whole country, at least the the gun community, is very much in say when mode right now with regards to that. Um, I think that's going to go very badly yeah, if Jimmy gets in. 
because I think he's going to push for things that he hasn't said he's going to push for as hard as he's going, as hard as he wants to. And that's going to be a shit show. That's I, I used to be friends with somebody. I'm no longer friends with them. Mind you that, uh, last I heard they were being interviewed to work for the ATF. That was eight years ago, I think. Yikes. So, you know, we're not homies anymore. Obviously he, he eats that shit up. So he tells me that like the people that he has talked with, there are people that work for the ATF that are, that are down for the cause. They're down for, they are down to basically Waco 2.0. They're down for it. Um, that's yikes. That's, that's a yikes for me. Um, and then I know know what they're going to go after is that AR 15 religion that's down in Texas. (laughs) Round two y'all. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't believe that was actually a, that's a thing. Um, they came out with that. They, they were talking about that being a religion. I think that's personally hilarious, but you yeah, know, that's, they, that's they just get, bought like, another, like, it's like 30 acres or 50 acres or something for their compound. <laughs> yes. I was like, where do I sign up? Like, can I be a member? <laughs> I, <laughs> a legitimate that, yeah, yeah, church you, of the gun. Yeah, if you if you if you find that, yeah, absolutely. If you find that like that congregate the actual way to like do that, you let me know. You, I, I will, will for I will sure. Gladly, um I think if if that goes to round two, I think it's gonna go tremendously different. I think the the community as a whole is a lot more aggressive than they used to be. Um like in the in the nineties when when Waco happened, um, you know, Guns in general were were still like FUD lore was king. FUD lore right. is still pretty relevant now, mind you. But um, the, the community is a shotgun for my home defense. Exactly, hunting rifles were the way. <laughs> uh, quote unquote, assault weapons were like really looked down upon. Um, right, like the the modern sporting rifle that wasn't something that people bought. Now, more often than not, <clears throat> I, you know there are, there are new gun owners that that come to me in real life in you know and outside of this and they're like you know teach me teach me what i need to do to buy an ar teach me is this a good one is this a bad one you know and so like a lot more people are getting into that and a lot more people are actually taking classes um like from joel and, and others there's a lot more uh a lot more of that now than there ever was before so i think there i think there's going to be a lot more violence if something like that happens again. I think it, yeah. will, it won't be just contained in that one location. Like say, say they burn that church to the ground like they did at Waco. And I'm not, I'm not defending uh, the cults, but I'm saying that they didn't deserve to be burnt to the, you know, to the death. There's a yeah. difference. <clears throat> so like say, say they burn the, the, you know, the church of the gun down again. I think, I don't think people are just going to let that slide. I think that's going to, I think that's going to kick some, some shit off. There's, there's enough people that I, I both personally know and people that I've, I've met on here and, and seen that things are going to get bloody. Well, I mean, look at this pistol brace bullshit that they're putting out. They're literally wanting to make federal felons out of the people that own the 40 million guns that are out there that follow under this, this category. So whereas I, a long time ago, I would have been really worried about that. I'm still like, that still bothers me. But I'm I'm more of the um, I'm more have I've leaned into the thought process of it's it could possibly pave the way for SBRs to be removed from the NFA because they're starting to be viewed as common use 
40 million, you know, braces. That's basic. That's essentially 40 million SBRs. Right. Yeah. So that's going to be more of a, which I think we like the braces really did more for the second amendment as a whole than anyone really gives them credit for because it really got people into shorter firearms. You know, it really took off on the, you know, the, uh, the pistol caliber carbines have skyrocketed. So you have the, you know, if companies making MP5 clones, you have small nine millimeter ARs, 45s, um, <clears throat> the Mark 18s, you know, the, the short barrel ARs, even the short barrel 308s, stuff like that. It's really opened up the market for like a varying degree uh, like of diversity in, in the guns. So like that really did more for it. And there needs to be more stuff like that. There's uh there's currently a, um, a non class three, like muzzle device that drops the decibel level of a gunshot at the shooter's ear beneath 130 decibels. It pushes all the sound forward. Huh. So you could, you could arguably shoot it, shoot a, an unsuppressed AR without a ear hearing protection on because at your ear, the decibel level is way beneath like the OSHA, like, you know, impacts hearing damage noise level. So stuff like that, that's the beginning for suppressors for there to be a workaround for suppressors. Like there was with the braces. Like I know, I know braces were absolutely created for disabled veterans to be able to shoot ARs again, but it also blew up the short barrel rifle game. Uh, I'm going to call them what it is. You know, uh, braces are a stock. It is what it is. Like they're, they're not, but they are like, uh, you know, it is what it is. So the exact same thing could happen with suppressors where they're moved into common use. And then, and then you, and then go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I had Tommy on my show on Friday and we kind of touched on this a little bit because, you know, there's what, 2,200, 2,500 ATF agents in the entire country mm-hmm. and 40 million guns that quote unquote violate this um, pistol brace statute that they're getting ready to put out. Mm-hmm. And so I asked Tommy, I was like, are you seeing anything where the federal government is looking for you guys to help facilitate acquisition or identifying the people who own these weapons. And and he said, no, but I feel that will be the only way that they would be able to enforce this edict. That's absolutely true. You, they are going to depend upon like local agencies to essentially turn upon their people where you will absolutely have some of these agencies that will do that. But people that like that, someone like we know that I don't, I don't believe Tommy would do that. I don't believe Rusty would do that. I don't believe Depp would do that. Yeah. <clears throat> like you have these, these agencies that they will not do that, that right. will not stand for that. And then you have not only that, but you have a lot of these uh, governors that are coming out and basically saying that we will not allow our law enforcement to uphold federal gun laws. So like yeah. they're, they're, they're even saying that fuck you basically do that. I think, yeah. <clears throat> I think it's a bluff personally. I think, I think what they're going to try to do is that they're going to pick a situation a very high profile situation, much like Waco, they're going to make it bloody. They're going to say, this is what we will do to everyone, but they're not going to, it's, it's a bluff. It, it's right. they're going to, they're going to burn someone on the ground. And then they're going to say, we'll do that to everybody. Even though there's, like you said, there's only 20, 2400 active ATF agents. That's insane. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's basically, that's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. 
I don't know. I if if I were a citizen in this country and I was concerned about my Second Amendment rights being violated, the very first thing I would start doing is I would start researching, you know, as local as you possibly can. And I would be finding what sheriff's departments, what state police departments, what um, county or yeah, county departments said, we will not enforce mask mandates. Those are the the agencies that I would start looking at that said, okay, these are constitutional violations of the citizens of my area. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would be looking to relocate in those areas so that I knew I was somewhere where the people who would be quote unquote, enforcing laws enforced the constitution over state edicts. Mm -hmm. That's um, that kind of harkens back to um, a lot of people, um, dismiss every every police officer every law enforcement every sheriff that they come across where i'm not going to sit here and make excuses for what has happened over the past couple years but being on a first name basis with my local sheriff and like i said when when that person uh kicked my uh garage like door in um and i basically swept the property and then sat outside with a rifle and a plate carrier and the sheriff rolled up like because I called him on my, on his personal cell phone. Like you're going to have a lot more understanding of your area, a lot more allies, a lot more understanding of how you're going to be able to act publicly. You can do whatever you want in private, you know, yeah. you, can, you can, you can, you know, you can, if you want to drill the third hole in private, you can drill the third hole in private. Um, <laughs> but like how you act publicly without getting, um, yeah, how you can, how you can act in public is is going to differ based upon your relationship with your local law enforcement. Now, people are going to be a lot more friendly in terms of like a sheriff's office, and they're going to be like a, a like a police department in a city. Um, now, city folks, if you know, <laughs> stay in your cities, you dug your grave. Um, <clears throat> but like county folk are, are a different thing. So, like you said, look at look at which departments, look at which sheriff's offices. Like you said, started with that mass mandate. And, and look to that, look, look to these people, because like, as much as, as much as these people sit up there and they're like, defund the police and all cops are bastards, blah, 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 blah. Reality, like reality is like, they're not going away. There's not going to be defunding. They're not going away. Like you need, you need significantly more people in government that are in favor of that, which as we saw, there's some police departments are getting more money under the Biden administration than the Trump administration gave them. So like that's, they're not going away. Right. So figure out who, who you can be <clears throat> as much of yourself as you're willing to be around in terms of law enforcement and try to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, I don't know. I just, you and I both hang around at some of the same circles online with a lot of, a lot of anarchists. And I have nothing but respect for anybody who's willing to, you know, assert their opinion and stand behind mm-hmm. it and support it with the facts that they feel that justify that, that opinion. Absolutely. And I am very close. Like I keep tiptoeing towards that black flag, but I'm not there yet. And I still believe that this country I, I still believe that we can be a country that the founders believed we could be. I just, I feel like a lot of people don't, like if if you're in a car accident, who's the first person anybody calls? It's a police officer. Uh-huh. 
if you're robbed on the side of the street, who's the first person you call? It's a police officer. It's 911. Like that, that's what you call first. You don't call, you know, a social worker. You don't call, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's not how it works. Absolutely. And I, I, I keep thinking about like situations that I've been in and police officers have been nothing but helpful to me in those situations. Mm-hmm. Like when that man um, came after me and my daughter and exposed himself to her. The cop who worked my case did everything he possibly could to make sure that that man never made it out of jail again. Uh He was unsuccessful because the prosecutor didn't want to put the work in necessary to make sure that he did stay behind bars, but the police officer did everything he could. He Uh also did everything he could to make sure my daughter didn't have to testify in court. Uh So... It's those types of interactions and those types of situations that leave me feeling respect for the people who are doing a job with the intention to try to do good for the society that they live in. Uh And, you know, talking to Tommy, I think it was, it was really clear, you know, he's, they're torn between a rock and a hard place. And that, that rock is the government, you know, mandating stupid fucking laws that, that are, are stupid. They're literally stupid. And, you know, the hard place is, is you and me where we're like, look, man, just leave us the fuck alone. I'm not hurting anybody. Stop wanting to write me fucking tickets because mm-hmm. I have a light out of my taillight, you know, whatever. So like something that, that I have asked people um, before um, that I have both been friends with and still friends with and some are, are no longer friends with me um, due to like my stances on certain things. Um <clears throat> So, like, something that I started to ask people when they advocated for, like, complete and total, like, removal of police departments, which, like, my opinion on that is is irrelevant to this particular, but, like, in six months, can you say you'll be okay? Like, I'll be okay. I've said that before. I'll be fine. You know, I have, I have, I, you know, I have the medical training I need to know to, to do, uh, to basically to get somebody to a hospital. Right. I am adept enough with both of the firearms that I use primarily, like the AR platform and the handgun that I can defend myself significantly. And I've driven across state lines to, to help people, blah, blah, blah. So I'll be fine. But can can these people honestly tell me, really sit there and think about it, that in six months, when the the negative repercussion of doing horrible things is gone from a state level, I'm not going to say that like people like me aren't going to roll out and smoke pedos. That's a different discussion (laughs) but like when when like when like the state agents of of representing negative repercussion for horrible action is gone will you be okay right you know when when there's no repercussion very little repercussion for crimes you know quote-unquote crimes um you know like crimes against you like 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 that gentleman that exposed himself to you and your daughter like what happens when he has no repercussions Right. How far would he go? How far well, would... Well, I mean, he's already been convicted before he exposed himself to me and Ainsley, so... Mm-hmm. so but, like, so so that that shows you that, that, that the, the repercussions don't even matter to him. But what about the people that, like, the only thing stopping them... Right. Are no, that, I know. You know, and so I've had people come back to me and be like, you're right, in six months I would not be okay. Or, or some people have said, yes, I would be fine. And, and it's fine. Like, I'm not going to sit there and call somebody out. You know, there are some people you can probably say, you're not going to be okay in six months. Like you can look at some people and you're like, eh, and you're, you're going to get, you're <laughs> going to get, you're going to get toasted. Like, it's just the way it is. <clears throat> but like, so like people, 
people jump on something like that without like really thinking totally through. Like if you if you are gen if you genuinely want to advocate for for the removal of police, by all means, by, by all means. But you need to really like think about it, like right. like like to the bone, gnaw that shit down to the the bone marrow, and think about it because like that's going to that's that's a that's a that's that's quite a stance to take. And if that is your stance, that is absolutely your stance. But like, if that happens, you don't get to whine when you're beaten because of it. Right. No, you're right. And that is why I believe in Second Amendment. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let you go because I've kept you for a very long time, including our wonderful um, break in between because I have shitty internet. But. Uh, yes. We successfully were able to reconnect, which I have not been able to do up to this point. So yay for us. Based. Um, with that being said, please tell everybody your Twitter handles so they can come follow you for all the good things regarding the supply chain and the Second Amendment. Uh, and all base takes and shit posting. <laughs> At uh, Shadzy1, um, S-H-A-D-Z-E-Y-1. Um, I don't really necessarily talk about the supply chain. I do every once in a while, but most of my uh, time on Twitter is uh, basically shit talking. So yeah. if you're down for that, come join. Um, I basically do it all hours of night. You know, I'll I'll get off of work and somebody pisses me off and I just start on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you know, come hang out with me on Twitter. We uh, We have a good time. You know, you're allowed to have whatever opinions you want, and I'm allowed to have whatever opinions I want. That's the greatest thing about the First Amendment. There we are. So, yeah, come hang out, and uh, perhaps we can uh, get into some interesting discussions. Thank you so much for coming on with me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to getting this edited. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty!